Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are things going this week? Things are well. Starting to feel like summer around here, and training camp ain't all that far away. I'm pretty excited. Might have some real football to yeah. analyze here soon. Hope, hopefully, right? Hopefully. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like we're getting bad signs uh, here and there. So we'll we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, we, we know, though, in, in the dynasty world, we keep going no matter what. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. We are going to continue our dynasty team building series. This has been a, a huge hit, I, I can say. We've gotten some great feedback on it. And I know I, I have learned a lot from our guests so far. Um, and we've got uh, one of my favorite guys. I, I made a list of my favorite dynasty players, and, and I don't mean Juju Smith and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Amari Cooper. I'm talking about guys that I play in leagues against that that I respect so much based on the teams they've built and, and the, the way they've gone about that. And this guy is one of those. Uh, it's Scott Connor. Scott, of course, is a writer over at DLF with me. He's also the host of the Dynasty and Chill podcast. Scott, how are you today? I am excellent, excellent. When I when I first started uh, seeing that you guys started this series, I was like, man, that'd be awesome to go on there and answer those questions. And <laughs> boom, I'm here. So just honored to be back with you guys. I think this is my third time on the show and uh, I'm really excited for this one. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It, it hasn't been too long since your last appearance, but uh, when I came up with this topic and these questions, I knew we had to get you back on uh, to answer these and, and I'm interested to to learn from you. One thing I've noticed from you in, in playing in a couple of leagues or a few leagues together is you are not afraid of bold strategies. You are not afraid to, to try the strategy that no one else uh, in the room is trying or in the league is trying. So uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on startup strategy, rookie draft strategy, trades, and so much more. Um, Scott, I know I know you've checked out the uh, some of the other recent episodes, so you won't be surprised. This this is going to be a two parter. I can tell already. Yep. <laughs> uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna pack it full of information, uh, and we'll we'll have you back next time as well. So let's let's jump right in. Uh, we want to start with uh, with the starting point with st- the startup dynasty draft, and uh, just want to hear from you first. And in that normal one quarterback dynasty startup it's probably been a while since you've done one of those but uh in kind of that basic vanilla ppr league what's your draft strategy yeah this is a good one and i've heard i've heard some of the other answers that people have given on this question before and i'll be completely honest i'll give the answer from the perspective of i you're right i don't think i've done a one quarterback startup in probably four years and i have two I have two leagues right now out of my 49 dynasty leagues. I have two leagues that are still one quarterback and both of them decided to go to super flex next year. So basically this year's rookie draft was treated like it was a super flex draft already. Uh, But here's what I would say. I think that if you're doing a one quarterback league, my high level approach to it would be you do have to look at a couple things. You have to look at the roster margins. You have to look at the starting lineups. So you know where you're starting from, meaning I know how many players I need to start and I know how many players I can roster. So you have to look at your taxi. You have to look at your total roster spots. And then you have to look at the starting lineups. And then you can kind of take the approach of, I like to break it out into my quarterbacks separately, 
and then skill players. So I'll reference like skill starters versus quarterback starters. And I think that's when you have to determine, you know, the, the quarterbacks are completely separate. You can determine based on how many running backs, how many tight ends, how many receivers you start, and then the scoring at those positions, how you're going to tier, you know, a receiver versus a running back or a tight end if it's tight end premium versus PPR for a receiver or tiered PPR where it's half point for a running back. So you can kind of analyze those separately. And I do think you can use pretty straightforward ADP or rankings, your own tiers to do that. But I think the big advantage, and I think the thing that people may argue with, I was always, and you probably saw this before when we were on Dynasty Command Center, I would always say, I just punt quarterbacks in one quarterback. Always, always. I will always stream. But I have come around to the fact that, you know, let's say you're in a league where you only start seven skill players, right? And the quarterback scoring is like a six-point passing touchdown, maybe some bonuses for yardage or completions or whatever. You know, let's say your quarterback is putting up 25, 26 points per game. Like the median quarterback one is at 25 points per game. There's a big advantage between being able to have not only a starter in that range, but being able to stream within that range too. So if you can put together, you know, say two low-end quarterback ones, if you can't get a hold of a Mahomes or a Lamar Jackson or even Prescott, Deshaun Watson, you know, the top tier of the six starters that we would consider to be the top tier. If you can stream from that, you know, median quarterback one range and right on the fringe, you can get a distinct advantage. You know, let's say you can get an advantage for five points a game over the average player in your league. They only have seven other starter spots to make up for it. So if you're in a shallower league like that, I do think there's a bigger advantage to be had if you can get one of those elite quarterbacks. So I think that's the first thing you have to analyze is how important are the other positions. I don't know about you, Ryan, but if you're in a league that has 11 other skill starters, I don't really care about paying up for a quarterback because I have 11 positions that if I can just gain like a half a point at all those other positions, I can probably make up for your Lamar Jackson or your Patrick Mahomes difference. If I'm only starting six or seven others, I do consider to pay up for that quarterback because it gives me the cushion uh, compared to the other positions. So I think that's where you have to start in a one quarterback league and you have to analyze the scoring and the margins you know, compared to the rest of the field at the position and then determine how you want to approach it. That's the best way I'd say to start. And then after that, I think you just treat it the same way as you would as a super flex. All the other positions are relatively going to have the same value. It's really just that quarterback margin and how much you want to pay. I feel so dumb that I had never thought about, <laughs> boy, that we're not starting that many guys, so quarterbacks are more important now. You know, like I hadn't looked at it. The way you just spelled it out there was really smart and well said that, hey, I can make up for it if I get more shot, more bites at the apple with, you know, extra flex guys and things like that, where, yeah, maybe I will draft Lamar if I only have six or seven starters or something like that. That's yep. great. It, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You you talked about this a little bit, Scott, but uh, how much does format, uh, league format impact your draft strategy? You know, I think that from a league format standpoint, I don't think that whether it's single quarterback, super flex, 2QB, I kind of take the approach the same way in all of them. The way that I will lay it out is I will take the scoring, and it's easy on like my fantasy league, for instance. You can look at the scoring from the last three years, and I don't get any more scientific than that. And I understand there's going to be some seasons that are outliers. You know, if you look at any scoring format from 2019, you can almost eliminate Michael Thomas and Christian McCaffrey because they're going to clearly be outliers. They're going to they're going to skew your means if you take the averages at running back and at wide receivers. So you can almost eliminate them. But what I'll do is I'll kind of chart out, 
you know, if you just picture a chart where I say, okay, take the median scoring from running back one to running back 12. So you're taking like the what running back six and seven scored and you take the median and that's what you would serve as your baseline for your RB1. And you extend that all the way out to running back one, running back two, receiver one, receiver two, receiver three, and into your flexes. You can get an idea of kind of where to target positions in a startup draft. And that's how I would weight it. And it's completely dependent on your scoring. An example, like our kitchen sink leagues, obviously they're contract leagues. So that brings in a totally different strategy, but it's only start one running back. So I look at that and say, okay, I mean, you look at PPR last year, the median running back one scored over 19 points per game. So if you're running back one, if you don't have a running back one, that's at 19 points per game, you're already behind the eight ball against just the average competitors. We're not even talking about the teams that are rolling out two or three of those guys. So you have to find a way to make up those points. Now, that would be totally different. I'm in a league where you have to start three running backs in a 12-team league, and the margin for your third starter in that league is super low. So if you have three RB1s, you're crushing everybody else. You can take a loss at three other positions and still be beating them. So I think you have to look really at the lineup construction, and then you can afford to give up a little bit more in trades if you have shallower teams because you know there's some marginal value on the waiver wire. So I think you have to approach it from an analytical basis like that and then use your resources like ADP to determine who to take. But really, I think the scoring and the the starting lineups are the most important thing when you're approaching a startup. So I kind of knew this, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, because I've seen you work in these leagues and uh, I think back to the the charity league that we did in Canton last year. And uh, the format was basically uh, wide open with, with multiple flexes, no required starting spots. And you drafted, what was it? Eight or nine straight. Um, was it quarterback, Scott? I think that was it. It was basically, you didn't have to start a quarterback, but you could start two super flexes, but then it was just eight straight flexes. And, I honestly did this exercise and I want to say I did a ton of research for it, but it was a charity league. It was for fun, for a good cause. And just the night before I just crunched these numbers, I have a spreadsheet that I'll put in basic scoring settings and it'll kind of pop out, you know, what did things look like in this format? And it was just like, I charted like the top 60 players and it was just like 36 running backs or something like that. So I'm like, why would I take a receiver when I don't have to start one? Why would I ever take a tight end when there was only like two that finished in the top 50? So I just came in the strategy and said, I'm just going to take best running back for literally eight straight rounds. And I got some flack during the draft, but hey, it ended up working out. So yeah, you you won the league, if I remember (laughs) correctly. I mean, an eighth round running back is going to score your points. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So again, I just kind of think of that, that uh, league we were in together and, and your, um, basically knowing the format so well, which is is kind of what you've suggested here already. So what I'm hearing from you is you don't necessarily have one strategy that you go into a league with. You're, you're totally forming your strategy based on the starting lineup, the scoring, the, uh, the, the total number of teams and, and roster spots, things like that. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's a great example, but that's also a redraft league. From a dynasty perspective, you know, it's easy for me to say when someone asks me advice on, you know, let's say a league where it's 0.25 point per carry and it's a big skew of running backs. When you look at the scoring, the running backs score, you know, literally you have guys like Jordan Howard that are scoring the equivalent of wide receiver ones in that format. But obviously they're not they're not valued the same in dynasty because how many years are you going to get for Jordan Howard? You might get 
one or two more years. It's almost like looking at, in that league, David Montgomery scored more than every receiver except for three or four last year. That doesn't mean you'd take David Montgomery over all those wide receivers, but you are weighing, Mm -hmm. okay, ideally, ideally, I'm filling every flex with a running back because there's that margin to where until you hit that point where it goes deep enough where the receivers start to outpace the running backs, because only so many running backs can get, you know, 20 carries a week or can get four first downs a week or whatnot. There's always going to be that breaking point where the receivers start becoming more valuable. So in weird formats like that, you're always weighing the fact, okay, this is still dynasty. I still want to have a mix of players that I'm going to be able to keep long term. But still, ideally, you know, I'd love to start a running back every single week in a flex spot. So that kind of leads into more how you're going to build your roster. You know, those type of leagues. Let's just say we translated that charity league to a dynasty league. My bench would have probably been, okay, I'm going to roster as many handcuffs as I can. You know, 16 of my 20 roster spots are going to be running backs because I want all the handcuffs too. And I want as much turnover every year. I want to be able to have extra roster spots where I can pick up additional running backs. So I think it's, you know, the, the one benefit I always tell people when they ask me for advice, and maybe Ryan, you can relate to this too because I know you play in a lot of leagues. I am completely player agnostic. And I know that's hard for a lot of people in Dynasty. I don't care about players. I look at my, I track all my ownership shares of all my players and I look at it more as like a stock portfolio, but I'm never going to be opposed to trading somebody away if it, if it benefits me based on the settings. So that's something that I have a luxury of doing by playing in 49 leagues. Other people that are in a couple leagues, 49, 49, 49. And (laughs) I want to say this, Matt, I've met quite a few people this year that are in more and I was shocked, but it's out there. I have a hard time keeping up with seven. It's Great. out there. But no, when you have when you have twenty plus leagues, you can be a little more agnostic towards players. You can trade for the format and you can trade based on the market of the league that you're in. You don't have to worry as much about, well, hey, that's my favorite player, I don't want to trade him away. So that is a luxury when you play high volume. You mentioned, you know, trying to start running backs and that that league that you were talking about was obviously an extreme example. But it kind of dawned on me as you were talking, basic almost every dynasty league I've been in, and I'm not in forty nine of them. There's a lot of them that you can only start one running back. And a lot of people look at it like, I got two startable running backs. I'm fine. You know, I, I don't have to invest so heavily in running backs that are more expensive. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's still the wrong way to go. You know, if you could start up to four or five, but you only have to start one, start four or five. I, I think it all comes down to acquisition cost. You know, let's say you're doing a brand new startup that's okay. only one running back. You could take the strategy of, hey, if I have the number two pick, I can take Saquon Barkley. I can lock Saquon Barkley in my lineup every single week. He's probably going to give me 10 to 20% more than the average running back one. So I already have a built-in advantage there. But let's say I can't get my hands on him, and I have to start picking from you know, down a little bit lower, running back six, seven, eight. You can't guarantee that they're necessarily going to be above that replacement level every week. So do you want to maybe take a receiver instead? Because, again, you only have to start one. So you could maybe go, you know, that classic league where you start one running back and two receivers and, like, six flexes. You know, in Kitchen Sink, it's one, 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 and then six flexes. I love going wide receiver heavy and just build volume at running back. You can take that approach, too, where you get seven or eight stud receivers and then the next 12 roster spots are all running backs, and you just play week to week. Hey, do I have one guy that I can fill in and give me – 70%, 80% of what Saquon Barkley can just based on the matchup. So I think it's really, you can take two totally different approaches in those start one running back leagues. 
Scott, let's talk about how you game plan uh, specific p- positions in a startup, and and uh, let's let's look at a super flex league with with pretty basic scoring, uh, PPR for all, and two two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, and, and a couple flexes. So in that in that kind of generic uh, league format, what is your plan for? positions how are you building uh, especially the quarterback position yeah so I think from if we're talking just a generic and we're I'm assuming this is a 12 team league right 12 team league yeah. Yeah. yeah you know I think there's been a big debate this year and maybe it's because of the current landscape at quarterback but we talked about this on the the last episode that we did I think it was back in February where the quarterback landscape even in superflex has kind of flipped from last year to where now you kind of have the haves and the have-nots. And the have-nots almost are like, after you get outside the top six, and I'm pretty comfortable putting Joe Burrow as my quarterback seven, just because I think he has sneaky upside from a rushing standpoint and his offense. But I think we're underrating, at least right now in Superflex, we're underrating the value of longevity of quarterbacks. I mean, wouldn't you say we're seeing an era now where teams are not letting these quarterbacks hang on for five plus years you know just because you're a first round pick does not mean that you're going to start all five years and it definitely doesn't mean that you're going to get a contract extension if you're not above replacement level so I think in Superflex now it used to be give me four or five quarterbacks and I'll just hoard them and someone's always going to need one so they're going to come to me and say hey I'm willing to trade you my Calvin Ridley for Jimmy Garoppolo just because I need a quarterback but I've found the teams Mm -hmm. that I'm really strong at quarterbacks when I don't have those elite ones and I'm stuck on like a bunch of quarterback twos, the scarcity just isn't there. You know, a lot of these teams, they're not freaking out about quarterbacks, especially in the offseason. And it's really hard to get those elite skill players in 12-team super flex leagues. So in cookie-cutter leagues like that where there's even scarcity, the quarterbacks have kind of taken a back seat. And it's hard. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this, Ryan, but when you have, you know, say like Ryan Tannehill's your third quarterback, you're not getting a running back one or a wide receiver two for him. It's hard to find that deal. The only time you get it is in the season when somebody has an injury or, you know, this year, who knows what's going to happen. But I think that's the only time you can really trade those guys because there's just no scarcity. And there's, you know, a team that has Justin Herbert as their number three quarterback right now. They're sitting pretty. They're not addressing that. That's looked at as a luxury. And, you know, we'll see what happens this year with with COVID-19. But I actually think there's going to be some value to having guys like Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston. These guys you know can put up fantasy points. What's the over-under on how many games they start this year? I mean, I, I bet you it's probably going to be mm-hmm. a couple of them. So, yeah, I think that that's the main takeaway. 12-team Superflex, I think quarterbacks are way overrated. That's a good point because nothing's changed. There's still 32 quarterbacks that start in week two, week six, whatever, in, in any year. But it does seem like there's more Mariota, Winston, Dalton's, you know, Foles, really good backups that can start. And it's amazing that a Winston and a Newton would last that long and have to sign small deals. That never was the case before. And back to your Herbert point, these last couple drafts, I mean, going back to the Darnold-Lamar draft where they had five first-rounders, if you bring four or five basically guaranteed starters into the league every year, all of a sudden the demand is better than the supply. Or the way around. No, and I think... (laughs) Here's another thing that I've been thinking about. We've had the influx of young guys coming in lately in the first round. No, no, you're you're right. And when you have those guys on your team, 
the team that drafted Justin Herbert, even if he's their quarterback too, they're probably not antsy to go out and trade their 2021 first round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo or Ryan Tannehill. You know, they're not chasing that Mm -hmm. necessarily because they don't need it yet. Maybe come week one, they'll need that quarterback. But, you know, something I wanted to ask. They know their day's going to come with Herbert. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing is, I I ran this poll the other day on Twitter. I don't know if Ryan saw it or not, but it asked about Josh Allen. And Josh Allen, I know Matt has had opinions on Josh Allen before. Josh Allen, his ADP is what right now in quarterback ranking in Superflex? Is it like quarterback 9, quarterback 10, Ryan? Yep, that's about right. I've noticed that that's not even close to his market value. You go try to trade him, you're going to get, well, he may not start for the Bills even through his rookie contract. Right, right. So I think um, I think after, and this, this kind of goes back to your Burrow uh, ranking of uh, around QB7, I think after you get past Russell Wilson, that that next tier is just so uh, so wide, and you know some are going to have Josh Allen there, uh, some are going to have Daniel Jones, some are going to default to uh, some of the veterans, some are going with the rookies a, as you are, uh, and I I think that that tier is just so huge, and there's so much uncertainty with it, uh, with at least a few of those guys that I think you're going to find it hard to, to sell Daniel Jones or Josh Allen. I think, I think they're both kind of in similar spots. Uh, So yeah, I I totally agree uh, that that's a good example where trade value uh, and, and, you know, ranking or ADP or, uh, you know, whatever you want to look at are, are not matching up at all. Well, and you've had these you've had these older guys hang around to where it's like, if I'm trading for, you know, the best example might be someone like Jimmy Garoppolo because you're not sure he's going to start past this year. I think he is, but it's not set mm-hmm. in stone. So really, what is the difference between Derek Carr? Right, right. What is the difference between Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo in Dynasty? Unless I can for sure say I'm getting multiple years out of Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm probably getting two years out of Brady. And you know, we never would have thought that. We would say, well, Brady's 43, Garoppolo's 28. There should be a massive difference. But if you're the Brady owner, why would you pay anything on top of Garoppolo or on top of Brady to get Garoppolo right now? I'll worry about that when Brady expires on my roster in two years. But Garoppolo isn't where I want to invest those resources because I don't know about his sort, his status in two years either. So it's just been interesting how these old guys have hung around and made it more complicated. There's a lot of guys in that you use Garoppolo as your example, but we could be talking about Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins. Uh, there's there's several that are, yeah, the, that are kind of in that same range. Uh, this time last year, we would have said Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston yep. are in that range. And, and now they don't have a starting job. Yeah, there's going to be three of them that are this next year's Winston, Mariota, yep. Dalton. Yeah, exactly. So, Scott, in in that super flex league, your, your – uh, avoiding quarterbacks you you feel like they're uh, overvalued does that mean you're building your team around the running back position or are you are you kind of using a, a best player available approach uh, I think based on just what happened last year uh, I think you'd be a little hard-pressed to find me investing early in wide receivers uh, I think right now in dynasty you have a clear clear flat tier at the wide receiver position that extends I mean, gosh, you, you, you pull up the ADP, and it almost extends out 30 players deep. I mean, you can go from 
wide receiver 10 to wide receiver 40, and the value gap isn't what the rounds say on the ADP startup value. I mean, you have your preferences, but a big thing I've been advocating this year is fill your running backs. If you can get your hands on one of the top six quarterbacks or Joe Burrow, certainly I'm not opposed to doing that. Um, otherwise, I'm kind of just waiting until the value falls in my lap at quarterback. But I'm starting heavy with uh, with running backs. If it's a tight end premium league, too, I do think that there's a little bit undervalued. Um, there's some undervalue in picking the elite tight ends, too. Because if you look at the replacement value of even flexing like a Mark Andrews last year, it actually outpaced a lot of the receivers as well. So I've been big a big advocate of wide receiver pivoting this year. That if you can identify a receiver that's, you know, say Kenny Galladay or something like that, and you can pivot down to even Tyler Boyd or someone of, of that nature, you know, you can get Tyler Boyd in a first for Kenny Galladay. And, and what are the odds that I don't get a better season from Tyler Boyd than Kenny Galladay? And age isn't really a factor in that case. So really, what am I, what am mm-hmm. I trading away? I'm trading away, you know, the hype. I know Ryan was big on A.J. Brown, but like A.J. Brown got up yep. to wide receiver eight. And he was wide receiver eight because he's 22 years old. Not because I can project him to be a 145 target guy going forward. So it's like, if I can trade A.J. Brown for two wide receiver twos, it's hard for me not to do that, especially as you get deeper with starting lineups. You know, three, four flexes. I'd take the two for one in those scenarios at the receiver position all day. And especially like your Galladay for Boyd in a first. Because that first could be next year's Cam Akers, Swift... Herbert, you know, I mean, it's depending, whatever you want. I mean, that's so flexible. That makes a ton of sense. And, yeah, Galladay's worth more than Boyd. Everybody listening would rather have Galladay than Boyd. But you also, Boyd might have more targets this year. That's not crazy. Right. Right. Scott, we'll we'll get into trading up and, and down in a startup soon. But, you know, something you made me, something you said made me think, really, if I'm doing a startup right now, and we'll go back to that one quarterback format, if I don't have a top two pick, I just want out of the first round, right? Like anything from three to 12, there's very little difference uh, in that player that I'm getting at, at that spot and somebody I can get in the second round. So um, if I can move from three or four or five down to the second round and, and pick up anything uh, on top of that, that's that's what I'm doing. The, of course, the issue is it seems like that's what everybody wants to do right now. Uh, everybody's kind of recognizing that same thing. It's it's McCaffrey and Barkley and everybody else. So Scott, um, again, you've you've kind of hit on it a little bit, but you've joined a league, and and this can kind of be the the format of your choice. But what does your pre-draft preparation look like? What are you actually doing to get ready for that startup draft? Well, yeah, I kind of hit on it a little earlier where I do think you have to go through the scoring. You have to go through the settings. You kind of got to set your own tiers. And I I think one of the things that helps when you're in multiple leagues, and again, I'm speaking to the people that are probably playing in, you know, at least half a dozen leagues or more, is each league is its own economy. And you have no idea, especially if you're playing with players that you've never played with before. I mean, yeah, you can have an ADP list. You can have tier lists that you set up beforehand. You can have targets that you think, okay, I'm going to map this out. You know, within a couple picks, I can probably get this player or I can get this player. But there's been startup drafts in the past that I've done. I mean, this was probably two or three years ago. You're not seeing this too much anymore because uh, one thing I want to talk about a little later is how I think Dynasty community as a whole, there's so many resources out there like a DLF and so many other sites 
the average dynasty player I think is getting a little bit sharper, and maybe that's just some of the people that I'm getting into leagues with. But I used to get deals, you know. I think it's more mainstream yes. now than it was a couple of years yes. ago. Yeah. Yes. I mean, but there were leagues where I was in three or four years ago where you were able to trade, you know, one of those picks you mentioned that was not Barkley or McCaffrey. You know, you could trade a first round startup back and get a second, a fourth, and a two thousand, you know, a first round pick the next year. And it's just like if you make a couple of those deals, it sets you up with so much flexibility that you really, you know, you don't have to hit on every player that you pick in the startup. You know, you basically get you get 10 shots in the starter range where everyone else only gets six or seven. So you have a lot of margin for error and you have a couple future picks to play with. If you make some misses in the startup, wait till the season and you can buy somebody for those picks if you wanted to. So that's the typical strategy that I will take. But other than that, I'm really just kind of looking at the board and I'm very flexible because I'm not, I'm not tied to players. I'm always willing to take trade value and I'm always willing to look and say, you know, if I'm drafting a startup in February, I'm looking at it totally different than if I'm doing it in, in August because I'm looking at, you know, if I pick who do I want to use on this roster spot in February, what can happen with this player over the next six months that could change in his value? If nothing can happen, then I don't know if I really want to put in the investment. I don't even want to use a roster spot on a player that I don't think can be a mover. So I know we talked about this on the last episode, but you know, we did the episode in February. Who were the guys that were, you were interested in buying? It was the players that you could see some sort of movement, right? You know, you, one thing I'll do is if I have a league that's turning over, and I know this was a later topic, but, you know, you get rid of all those players that really don't have any value change. You know, drop all your backup quarterbacks in Superflex. Drop all your third-string running backs that only saw time because there were two injuries ahead of them. You know, you can safely drop those players because you want to have those free roster spots. So I think it's just about flexibility. Yeah, keeping Patrick Laird doesn't do you a lot of good. Nope. <laughs> Uh, folks, let me tell you about one of our friends here at Dynasty Owner. If you think you are smarter than NFL GM, if you think you're the best at fantasy football, here is your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner is the only patented fantasy sports game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. You manage your teams from all levels, owner to general manager to coach. Dynasty Owner is for the smart and elite fantasy football player. There's no off-season at Dynasty Owner. The rookie draft matters. Free agency matters. Every single contract matters. Come to a startup draft in 2020 using actual NFL players, contracts, and salaries. Then improve your team each year with a three-round rookie draft and by trading players and draft picks. You can win weekly prizes, seasonal prizes, and compete in the chase for the ring. The mobile app is still in development and ready to be downloaded now at iOS and Android, and you'll be ready to roll with open mock drafts now on your desktop and mobile browsers. To learn more and mock draft for free, go to www.dynastyowner.com. So, Scott, let's get into the draft now. The, The startup draft has begun how do you execute your strategy? So how do I execute my strategy during the startup? Well, I think that kind of what I talked about before, you got to be prepared by understanding kind of where the where the threshold is going to be in your specific league. So I'll just give the example of, let's say you're in a league that has, we'll say 25 roster spots and only 10 starters. You kind of have to do a little bit of thinking ahead and saying, okay, I have to know where the value is going to drop off from like starter range to stash range. And you can look at whatever tier list or ADP list that you're doing to build that. Uh, but typically I like to break it up and say, okay, if I'm in a league where 
only 40% of my players that I have in my roster are going to be in my lineup, then I want to try to build maybe the top. I usually take it out to about 50% more than what the starters are. So basically my 15 players, I want the strongest 15 players possible in that format. And it can actually go a little bit deeper when you're in shallower leagues, because if you're in a league where there's only 22 roster spots, there's more value in a roster spot because the waiver wire talent's going to be a little bit higher. So you have to do that math and you have to kind of find out where your threshold's going to be. And sometimes I will like to trade and try to cluster picks right around where that tier break's going to be. So that example I just gave, you know, where there's 10 starters and I want to have the strongest 15 players possible, I will try to get as many picks in the top 12 rounds as I can in the startup. And I don't care if I give up 15 rounds in the later parts of the draft. You know, I'll give up uh, around 20 and a 21 pick to get up to around 14 pick. You know, I don't mind losing that extra pick because I know I'm going to be able to pick up pretty equivalent player that you're getting in round 21 of the startup from the waiver wire. So really just doing that math and understanding that, you know, if I'm in a really deep league with 15 starters and 40 roster spots, well, the waiver wire is going to be bare. So I probably want to get a lot more startup picks in that case uh, versus the other way around. So I think it's just a, a lot of it's just doing math that I, I'm an analyst by, uh, you know, by trade. My, I was born with basically just a math. I was about to ask you I'm, that. <laughs> I, I was born with a math brain. I was doing algebra <laughs> equations at two years old. So that, that's how I always think of these things. It's all math and players come later. That's apparent. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so I, I, we've certainly learned that you're flexible in these drafts. Uh, are you more likely to trade up or trade down? It, it sounds like you've identified some hot spots uh, where you you want to make sure you have X number of picks by uh, a certain round or a certain draft position. Yeah, I think um, right now I would say, especially if you're doing a startup later this summer, I, I have a hard time, unless you mentioned getting up to get Barkley or McCaffrey or Mahomes and Superflex, I think we're facing a year or two of the NFL where we're going to see more variants than we've ever seen before. And so, you know, there are some formats where certainly if you're in a league that's really, really shallow, you don't want to trade away studs for three players. You know, you don't want to necessarily turn a Tyreek Hill into three wide receiver threes or something like that. But I think we're, we're getting to a point now where the projections that we have for the next year and maybe next year's draft or next year's season, I don't know how much we can take historical data into account and try to predict what's going to happen in the next year. I think we're facing a period in Dynasty, there's going to be more variance than we've ever seen before. So most of the time right now when I'm trading, my trading throughout the summer has almost always exclusively been, hey, where can I try to slim the margin down and trade a player drop down to a lesser player, but pick up an extra asset. And it's almost like buying me additional insurance. Cause I think, I think the dynasty teams that are really slim over the next couple of years that don't have a lot of draft picks that have aging players. I think they're going to run into a lot of trouble because I don't know if we can even count on those players performing the way that you think. So I'm airing on the qu- quantity over quality, uh, at least in the next couple of years. Why the next couple of years? Just because of the COVID situation, injuries, people getting, you know, having to hang it up for a couple of weeks because they test positive or because people like Andrew Luck are hanging it up earlier than they used to. I mean, what's the exact logic for the next couple of years being that way? Well, so I already used to operate this way uh, and I call it an 80. Okay. But I think this year it's just enhanced. So I call it like a, I call it a 80, 
80-40 trade. And basically, you look at it like this. I have an asset that's worth a dollar. You're willing to give me an asset that's worth 80 cents, and then I also get something on top of it that's worth 40 cents. Now, in a starting lineup, if you translate that to Dynasty, I'd rather have the dollar versus the 80 cent player in my starting lineup. But if I can build enough moves and enough trades over time where I'm accumulating just that additional extra value and the margin that I'm losing from that dollar player to that 80 cent player isn't that far off, I figure there's going to be opportunities during the season. And Matt, you mentioned the the COVID-19. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know how many players that's going to Mm -hmm. impact. And we don't know if that's going to impact certain positions or certain teams differently. I just don't think we can go into this season and say, hey, I'm going to build this roster of all these players that I know are going to perform the way that I think they are in 2020. And I think that's going to blend into the 2021 draft. How accurate are teams going to be drafting? You know, how much are we going to be able to, if there's no college football season next year, how much are we going to be able to take all the historical data on draft capital and dynasty players and say we're spot on and use that just as we would in prior years when we think the NFL teams might be a little less accurate next year and who they pick. So I just think we're set up for a cascade effect over the next couple of years where there's just going to be a lot more variance. So I want to have, I want to have the extra insurance. You know, I want to be the team with the extra picks during the season. Worst case scenario, I can go out and buy those. I can buy from the teams that maybe have packed it in or are going to sell a little bit cheaper. So that's just kind of my overall general approach. Uh, but typically I would trade that way anyway. It's just more enhanced this year. That makes a lot of sense. And if there's more uncertainty, you want more insurance. And one thing I'm pretty darn confident about is more players, fantasy, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, whatever, are going to miss games this year than usual. Yep, Yep, absolutely. Let's move over to rookie draft conversation. Um, Are you a dynasty owner that normally collects future rookie picks uh, in in advance of the draft? Or are you one who is more likely to trade them away for assets that can help you win now? Well, at least uh, in a couple leagues, I... I kind of like you mentioned at the beginning. I'll go. I'll go to the extreme, like uh, kitchen sink too. I think I tried to collect every single draft pick uh, in 2021. I typically will do kind of what I just said. If I'm just doing a startup, I will start with the try to accumulate as many picks as possible. Uh, but I have noticed with this strategy that you do run into a saturation point sometimes. And I had a couple leagues this summer where, you know, I already had a pretty strong roster. And I found myself with 20 draft picks in the draft. And I'm sitting there going, I can only pick eight of these players. So you get to the point where, you know, if you do that process for three or four years and you're just accumulating picks and accumulating picks and accumulating picks, I mean, you should have a strong team, but you do run into a saturation point where you do need to do some consolidation. So I think it's just a give or take. I think if you can time it right by hitting on a couple of the right classes, Uh, I think this was kind of an ultimate class for running backs. And I do think the running backs this year are being undervalued. You know, I think we're compared to what's coming in in the next couple years. I do think we're actually undervaluing on the market uh, what you should have paid to trade up to get DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins or Cam Akers, because I think you're going to have a really hard time replacing a prospect like that in any of the next two classes. Uh, You might have one or two, but, you know, say there's only one or two in the next two classes. You need to have a top three pick to get it done. So I think this year was a year to consolidate. So if you built that way, uh, this was a year that I did trade up to those spots, uh, especially for running backs. So I think it's just a give or take. You've got to do it on a cyclical basis. You can't just always trade back and get more picks. You know, at some point it's going to hit the saturation point and you've got to consolidate. 
It's love. I love having a million picks, but then you're like, I don't have any room for any of these guys. I, I do it all the time. Yeah, I love stacking those picks as well. But if that's if that's the only part of your plan, it's not going to go mm-hmm. well because, like you said, Scott, you're just going to end up with really too many picks in each draft. So uh, acquire those picks and and like you've like I've already seen you doing in. Uh, some of the leagues we're in together, then you have to make moves. If you, if you've acquired too many, uh, really too many rookies to take into the regular season, go ahead and start, start unloading some of those rookies or or packaging them together for an upgrade. And uh, I've seen you doing that as well. So if if the only part of your plan is to load up on rookie picks and, uh, and, and that's it, that's, that's not going to work. You've got to have some trades in mind as well. And I think that if you are, I always tell people the the biggest thing that someone can do to get back at you when you have all the rookie picks is make you actually pick those players into rookies to make you actually have to use those picks. Cause then it comes into, I mean, I think I'm decent at drafting, but I mean, at best, what am I hitting on 50% of my rookie picks? So they can dare me to say, Hey, go ahead and make 20 selections. You might hit on nine of them, but you're going to whiff on 11 of them. And you just flushed a bunch of value down the toilet. So really, the the power of having those picks is what can you do with them when you have all that money in the bank. It's not, well, I'm the best drafter, so I'm just going to add, you know, 15 rookies to my roster every year and dominate. We know that's a losing strategy. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of leagues. I have four and five third round picks next year. Like that's great, but you don't want to take five guys in the third round when it all comes down to it. Right. Scott, when have you found is the best time to to buy rookie picks? I think there's two different times to buy rookie picks. I think the one of the best times to buy rookie picks, if you're a team that is, I think there's a savvy time during a season where one of the best times for me to buy rookie picks is during the season when I'm a contender. And this sounds really strange. Why would you, why would you buy rookie picks when you're a contender? I think if you, especially this season, I think this is where you're going to be able to make some profit. If you're a contending team and you've built your team up just based on fairly strong depth, but also depth to embrace some of the variants that I think we're going to see. You know, I made a lot of good trades last year where I was a team that was going to make the playoffs, but I was still trading away some of these volatile running backs that we knew, we knew were going to drop value or receivers that we knew couldn't sustain their value that it was currently at. So I think that's the savvy time because I've found that you know, right now, and I don't know if you've experienced it, if you guys have experienced this in any of your leagues, but it's really hard to get draft picks right now. Everyone's kind of just sitting still in leagues saying, hey, I don't know what's going to happen with the season. You know, I'm not really sure about my team because I really don't know what the season's going to look like. So I'm just going to hold my rookie picks. So I think the best time to get them is actually during the season. And if you're a team that's good and you say, you know what, I'm a couple injuries away from maybe having six running backs. You know, if I'm rostering a bunch of handcuffs or whatnot, I'll be fine trading away one of those guys that I know is volatile. And I think you can get them premier value for them during the season because you know, you know, when the offseason gets here, a lot of running backs dip in value because they're a threat to be replaced in the draft. So I think that's the best time to actually get full value for some of your players is actually during the season when other people are also looking for points. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Scott, you're in a rookie draft. Do you find yourself focusing more on uh, on your specific team need, or are you taking the best player available in that rookie draft? Yeah, I think that you have to – I think you always have to look at your needs, but I have a hard time. In the, only, the only caveat will be 
if we're talking about running backs, I will always draft running backs and rookie drafts, no matter what, even if I need receivers, just because that run, Ryan, you would agree running backs drive dynasty teams at this point. You know, if you have the elite ones, you're constantly yep. walking on that fine line of, yeah, I have four elite running backs right now, but in two years, two of them may have no value. You know, one of them might still be on that fringe where they're too old and nobody really wants to trade for them. So I'm probably having them expire on my roster if I want to ride them all the way out. But, man, if you can get running backs on rookie contracts that you know are going to start with the draft capital, I, I don't think you can pass that up. Even if I have no receivers on my team, I'll continue to do that, and then I can make trades later. Uh, quarterbacks will be the other thing, but like I talked about earlier, 12-team super flex leagues, I'll take quarterbacks, but I'm not actually – you know, seeking quarterbacks out. You know, I'm not moving up to trade for quarterbacks necessarily uh, just because I don't think they're a scarce asset. So I'll answer that by saying if it's a scarce asset that I know always will have a market, uh, that's what I'll draft. Do you especially see that being true in like the second round of rookie drafts? You know, like this year, Darrington Evans, McFarlane, Moss, Dillon, those type of guys – uh, yeah, I might want Mims or Edwards or a nice receiver, but you just know that those running backs we mentioned, value is rising. Yeah, you know, I think when you get further down in the draft, uh, you can take shots more based on your needs. Um, I have a couple teams, um, and it's cool that you had Sean Siegel on the podcast too because he was one of the, the, the classic zero RB guys. And I stripped a lot of my teams down last year uh, to essentially zero RB status. I had some contenders that I was riding with you know, the Marlon Max, the Aaron Jones, the James Connors of the world. And I got rid of most of those guys. I mean, I, I saw kind of the running back apocalypse coming in the transition to this rookie class. And I, I dumped a lot of those players on teams where I was contenders. And so, yeah, some of those teams this year, uh, I'm probably strong at receiver and quarterback or tight end already. So I'm fine maybe taking a Darrington Evans or Anthony McFarland or, you know, really whatever the value is at receiver passing it up. Uh, in those specific cases if it fits my team. I'm more apt to do it on those type of builds. But it really just depends on the build of my team. If it's just best player available and I have a luxury at both spots, uh, then I'll usually opt for the wide receivers. But I think that's a that's something to think about because those running backs this year, you know, we had some running backs that went late in second round in drafts that were, you know, day two running backs. And so I don't think you can pass that up right. just profile-wise. Scott, you kind of answered this already. You said you're you're always focusing on running backs in rookie drafts. How do you how do you kind of compare this, the short term production that we often get from running back, running backs versus the long term value? So I'm thinking about you know in different different portions of rookie drafts this year, uh, C D Lamb versus Cam Akers or Keyshawn Vaughn versus uh, any of those late first uh, wide receivers, uh, Pittman, Higgins, Mims, uh, Rugs, you know whoever your favorite is of that group. How do you, how are you making that decision? You know, this is a tough one because, you know, I kind of hit on it earlier with the wide receiver saturation and, you know, it, it depends on your settings. I think if you're in a league that you can only maybe start four or five receivers, there is a saturation point to where, yeah, I mean, I'd love to take shots on profiles like Pittman or Mims, but at some point, you know, what's the saturation point with those guys? You know, what is, where is that breaking point? at the wide receiver position in dynasty. I mean, at some point it's got to explode. We're talking about a 2021 class where, you know what, we're trying to add 12, 15 more receivers that go in the first three rounds of the draft. I mean, at, at what breaking point are there receivers right now in dynasty that are maybe top 40 or top 50 receivers? 
I mean, someone kind of has to fall out for some of these other guys to come in. You know, you can't support 70 receivers that are putting up top top <laughs> right. 48 right. numbers. I mean, you just do the math. There's going to be players that fall out. And, you know, so in that case, I, I do think you kind of had to look at your format. If you're If you're already strong at receiver and you can only start five in your league, you know, what is the value of adding the 11th receiver? I mean, would you rather shop that pick and see if you can add a, a veteran running back instead? I mean, I, I'm not a Keyshawn Vaughn fan, so, you know, I'd have a hard time picking Vaughn over any of those day two receivers this year. But, you know, do I really want to add a Brian Edwards on a team where I already have nine receivers that are slotting in better than him? Because I'm really just looking for, I'm building a trade asset there. Maybe I can get the trade. I'd rather trade the pick when it's on the clock. I can probably get a better value there than, you know, once you make that selection, the player is less valuable. I mean, that's for the most part, it is. People would rather have the pick and do what they want with it. So I think it depends on the format. I know I always say that, but I think that's the truth when you're talking about, you know, that question. One thing I've noticed this offseason with a lot of my teams, when the rookie draft concludes, is, wow, I love my wide receivers. I have a dozen, 13, 14, that are all worth a lot. They're all young, you know, Brian Edwards or better type. And then as you're sitting there talking, I'm thinking – I can only really start half of them and be have a chance. And do I really need 13 of them? Should I take two of them and trade them for a strong running back play, you know, prospect? I mean, it gets to the point where, like you said, great young receivers are awesome, but how many do you need? Yeah, I and I have hit on this point, and I'm sure people listening to this will say, oh, I've heard him say this before, but... We saw a historic season from wide receivers last year, and I don't think people really understand how much variance happened last year at the wide receiver position. I mean, Ryan's probably heard me say this before, but 75 receivers last year had a wide receiver one week. Now, the argument's going to be, well, a lot of those guys weren't in your lineup, and if you look at some of the names, you're going, well, 15 of those guys weren't even on any dynasty rosters because they were just random. You know, somebody gets a random opportunity in a game, they weren't in anybody's lineup. But I think the results... ADR touchdown or something, you know, a fluke play here and there too. Yeah, yeah, and you and you can look at some of the names, but that happens every. And year. you can say, well, you know, yeah, I never, I never predicted Jerron Brown to have a top twelve, line, you know, weekly finish in, in any given week, mm-hmm. but he did. You know, Alex Erickson had a wide receiver one week. You know, uh, a couple other names: Jakeem Grant, Paul Richardson, Tajay Sharp. Those guys weren't in anybody's lineups for the most part in Dynasty. Probably not even in a lot of Dynasty rosters. But I think the value that you can get is, you know, if you look, you mentioned the how, how many wide receiver twos, how many wide receiver threes can you have on your team. If you kind of just chart out how wide receivers score, the average wide, wide receiver two last year only scored 15 points per game. The average wide receiver five, so we're talking like 48 to 60, was scoring 10 and a half points per game. So there's not a huge difference. You're only talking about four no. points per game difference but you're talking about Calvin Ridley versus, you know, all the way down to like Darius Slayton, you know, and even could go further than that. And that's how far of a gap you're talking about from dynasty value. But week to week, and if you're sp- if you're sharp on matchups, you might find a week where Darius Slayton's a better play than Calvin Ridley. So if you can have enough options and you can play matchups man, you can kind of hack your way to higher wide receiver performances than the actual ADP value that you have on your team. So just really about the approach. But that's the position I think you can really exploit right now. Yeah, and and with, you know, you already talked about the kind of grim outlook for the running backs in the next two classes. 
the wide receiver classes are, are as strong as the running backs are weak. And so this, this trend that we're seeing with the, the deep tiers and, and, you know, flat, flat value from wide receiver 15 to wide receiver 50, it's only going to, uh, to, to grow or, or get worse if you look at it that way. Yeah, and you've seen over the last couple of years, you've noticed that the league is starting to go away from the pure target hogs. You know, there were only, I think, six players last year that had more than 145 targets. And in Dynasty right now, it, I mean, do you guys think DeAndre Hopkins is a lock for 150 targets in Arizona? No. So if you say no, no basically there's only two guys this year, Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, that I can say I'm fairly confident can get over 150 targets. After that, you're really looking at a ton of players that are going to be somewhere between that 100 to 135 to 140 range. So teams are starting to reflect this. More teams are using three receivers. More teams are spreading their targets out to more players. So, you know, I kind of look at it as like if you draft – Let's just say like Justin Jefferson this year. Justin Jefferson's already a wide receiver three from a dynasty perspective. If he hits and he has a decent rookie year, he may jump up to like wide receiver two range. I'm confident that when I draft him based on his draft capital, based on his pedigree, I'm drafting a guy that's already probably going to hit, quote unquote hit, what we treat as hits in dynasty, like a top 24 receiver. But one, that's the saturated area where there's a ton of guys like that. I don't think what we can predict and even the best analysts out there they cannot predict which one receiver from the class is going to fall into that role where the team just has to feed him 160 targets. You know, we never thought it was going to be yeah. Michael Thomas out of his class. You know, it could be DJ Moore, but I yeah. think DJ Moore is like the closest one you could maybe say could have that in his future. But even that's questionable. Maybe AJ Brown. Maybe, but right now his situation, I don't ever see a team funneling him that many targets. And that's not because he's not a good enough yeah, player, not a but first team and right. what is his true statistical ceiling? I'm not willing to bet that it's top 10 over 15 other guys, so why wouldn't I just take the lower valued ones? I mean, even Julio on his best day or Odell, you know, I mean, guys that have been awesome for years, probably not. Right, right. Yeah, I think I think that's a great conversation. That's probably worthy of uh, of, of an entire episode itself, Scott. We're going to stop here, though. Uh, thanks for all the information that you've given us and uh, the insight on startup dynasty draft strategy, rookie draft strategy. Uh, we would we would love to have you back back next time to talk more, uh, especially about. Uh, some some trade strategy in your leagues. I know you're certainly an active trader, so I can't wait to hear uh, all about that. Uh, before we go, tell our listeners where they can find you and your work. Yeah, of course, uh, Ryan mentioned uh, you can find my work at DLF, uh, mostly writing articles. Uh, we may or may not have a little uh, bit of a, a YouTube show coming up uh, on DLF, so stay tuned for that. Uh, you can also find me on my podcast, which is Dynasty and Chill. Uh, it's going to be basically a, a once a week interview show uh ryan's been on and you know just a bunch of guests talking kind of the same stuff if you like some of the conversation here uh, that's usually what dynasty and chill is about uh, also have another uh, ffpc high stakes podcast uh, that i do every friday night uh with my partner jay reed uh, called chasing the helmet uh it's all redraft based and it's all based on ffpc main event and ffpc football guys uh, so if you're interested in that uh, you can find me on that show as well so dlf and those two podcasts and Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. All right. Thanks, uh, thanks Scott, for joining us. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint.